Welcome and thank you for joining our podcast. At Littler, in celebration of this year's Black History Month theme, African Americans and the Arts, we are highlighting some of our very own notable authors. I am Karima Lamar, a shareholder in the firm's San Diego office, and today I am joined by shareholder and board of directors chair Michael Wilder from our Chicago office and Littler Case Smart Council Tiffany O'Bang to share their stories and learn more about their path to become authors in addition to talented attorneys. Welcome to you both. Thank you so much for having me here. I am so excited to um, have this conversation with you all. Yeah, thanks, Karima. Happy to be here. Looking forward to talking about our books and the arts and talent for uh, African American History Month. As we all know, Black History Month is an annual celebration of achievements by Black Americans and a time for recognizing their central role in U.S. history. This year's theme, African Americans and the Arts, spotlights how Black artists have used their art to preserve their history and community memory and to empower. I'm excited to be chatting with Michael and Tiffany today and diving into how and why they became authors and the influence it has had in their careers. Michael, I know you're a man of many talents, attorney, author, board game designer, the list goes on. Can you tell us a little bit about how the arts in general have influenced your journey and how that led you to becoming an author? Yeah, sure. Uh, so my background is when I was in high school, I was in commercial art classes. I was specializing in art and I actually dreamed of working at Disney one day as an artist, but I also enjoyed the law. And my mother asked me, she says, I don't know many starving lawyers, but I know a lot of starving artists. So you should pursue the law and then you can do the art on the side. And from that moment forward, I decided to go ahead and focus on becoming a lawyer, but I never lost sight of my true love for art. And a part of that that I've done since I'm not drawing or anything like that is I started creating board games using my art interest. Um, and I started doing cover art for books for friends. And then I realized one day I want to write my own book. So I started with my first book, The Playbook for a Dollar and a Dream, which is a roadmap for, for young adults. And then after I realized I could actually write a book and get it published and people actually read the thing, uh, I said, I'd write a second book. And I decided to do a fictional piece called Jackpot, The Crazy Things You'll Do for Love and Money. And then after that did really well, I said, well, people are still reading these books. Let me write a third book. And so I got a third book published called The Gospel According to Now, The Modern Day Story of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the reason why I, I dip and dab in the arts on the side is because, one, I love the art. Um, I also collect art on the side. But at the same time, I like using the other side of my brain. And so that's how I got to write books and be a lawyer at the same time and do board games and invest in art. And Tiffany, I'm going to ask you the same question. Can you tell us a little bit about how the arts in general have influenced your journey and how that has led to you becoming an author as well? Sure. So growing up, I've always been an avid reader, but I've also really enjoyed TV and film. And so, of course, when you're in elementary school, they ask you what you want to be when you grow up. And I remember listing a number of things, including lawyer, dancer, doctor, author. I was going to be all the things. But similar to Michael, lawyer was the more prestigious option of the many options that I laid down. So I pursued becoming a lawyer. And so as time went on, I would 
do podcasting for TV and film review. I also became very interested in screenwriting, adapted screenplays specifically. And I thought I was going to end up writing like that, become the next Tyler Perry, if you will, or Ava DuVernay. However, when 2020 came about, my mom and my husband kept saying, like, when are you going to become an author? When are you going to become an author? By this time, I've had a son. He was four. We had a lot of social unrest. And me and my son both enjoy reading TV and film. And so at that time, I said, you know, I'm gonna go ahead and publish this manuscript that I had sitting around for like two years. And the manuscript became known as Andrew Learns About Actors. (laughs) So it married our love of the arts, TV, film, and writing. And so that was my first book. And I was just like, great. I did a bucket list item. Fun, fun, fun. So the pandemic continues and I decide as I'm gearing up to have my second child, which is a daughter, I decide to put out Andrew Learns About Teachers because I wanted to do like an homage to teachers. I remember when I was in fourth grade, I had written a um, creative writing essay or whatever you want to call it at the time. And the teacher didn't like my use of Ebonics and things. And she said, well, when you (laughs) write your own books, you can, you know, write how you want. So it's kind of always stuck with me. And so I did Andrew Learns About Teachers as an homage to teachers because teachers, I felt, were overlooked during the whole pandemic. They were a part of it. They were doing a lot of transitions and pivots, and it was really hard on them. And my husband and my mom were both educators at the time. And so after writing that second book, I'm putting it on my son's bookshelf. And at this point, I've been publishing for eight months. (laughs) And I'm now geared with like statistics surrounding children's literature and how Black characters in children's literature only accounts for 13%, whereas animals are like 40 plus percent. And that got me to thinking that I have the ability to change the landscape of children's literature and inspire a future generation of not only readers, but workers because I was doing career books at the time. And so fast forward to three years later, I have 20 children picture books. Six of them are career books. So they introduce different careers to children so they can be equipped with the knowledge of their future, their future possibilities. And I also have basic concept books and social emotional learning books and all the things. So that's my journey. Michael, how did you, you know, I I appreciate that you know, you had this dream of one day working at Disney, but your path led you to to being a lawyer. So how did you find time to kind of feed this desire that you had to to be an author? Yeah. So and I'd like to say too, Tiffany, I just looked you up on Amazon. Amazing covers, amazing books, great reviews. Uh, keep keep doing your thing, man. That, that, that's that's amazing. Very good. Kareem, to answer your question, in college, I did poetry. So I would write poetry and I would do stand-up poetry nights and things of that nature because I really just didn't have the time to write. I was busy uh, trying to get through Otters College. And so I would do poetry. I'd write short poetry and then go up and perform the poetry. When I got to law school, was really still busy, but at the same time, I started doing these programs called Real Men Read in Chicago where young men such as myself, uh, young professionals or soon to be professionals go into Chicago public schools and would read to the students in high risk schools. And we would read the books or we would we would go in there and give them career talks. And I realized after doing that for over a couple of years that I needed to put all of that information into one place. If I leave the room, some people may remember some things, some people, people may have taken notes, but I need to create a resource for these students in Chicago public schools and beyond. 
And that's what got me to write the playbook for a dollar in the dream was I wanted to have a book that students could use as their resource when it came to education, finances, dating. I created a dating algorithm. Uh, and that's why it became a popular book was because of the algorithm in the book. And so I wanted to, to use that as a resource. And then what I did was I went around to different schools and did high school commencement speeches all over the Midwest. And my speaking fee wasn't an amount of money. It was, I want you to buy my book for every single graduate. And that was literally my speaking fee. Probably should have increased that fee because I got a lot of invitations because, <laughs> you know, I was, yes, I was kind of cheap, you know, so uh, that kind of got that going and allowed me to to do something outside of the practice of law that I also enjoyed, also got a lot out of. And then once I had that kind of like, like Tiffany said, all kind of off my bucket list of things, I said, hey, I want to do something that's a little bit more close to what I love doing. I love watching movies. I love watching TV. And so I realized that rom-com just, there wasn't a lot of it out there anymore. And so I wanted to create a book that reminded me of a rom-com uh, that I would want to see at the movies. And so that's why I created Jackpot, The Crazy Things You Do for Love and Money, was simply because I wanted to change that genre, take it from a Black perspective, even though some publishers tried to change it <laughs> from being a Black perspective, which happens when you're writing your books, and then tell the story about an individual who proposes to a woman on Saturday and hits the mega millions on Sunday. And whether he's going to actually tell his fiance that he's now worth you know, over $100 million because he wants her to go through and get married to him for love and not money. So, you know, that inspired me. And then the third book, The Gospel According to Now, was just really about, I wanted folks to have a book that talks about elements of the Bible so people can learn more about the first four gospels of the New Testament. And so I, I published this book. I had a tragedy during COVID. It had made it hard for me to finish writing this book, but I finished post-COVID once things moved along. So yeah. That's what I did. And Tiffany, so you wrote all 20 of your books since 2020? Yes. And so eight of those books were written like within a six month time span. And what is really interesting about the ability to do that, which at the time I was like, anyone can do that. And they're like, no girl, <laughs> anyone can <laughs> do that. Is that because their children picture books, you know, they require not only editors, but illustrators. So to be able to not only get the content drafted, edited, but have illustrators be able to bring my works to life in such a short time span, I guess is a big feat. But yeah, so eight of those were like in eight to 10 months. And then I just kept going. I was so inspired during that time period from 2020 to 2023, if you will, that it was just cranking out. And then at a certain point, and Michael probably <laughs> understands this too, when you get multiple, you have to market them. So at a certain point I said, okay, I've been spending a lot of money. Let me market these books. And so I took what I call a creator break so I could focus on the marketing and business side of my books. But I am back creating. I like to say I'm in the kitchen because the next book I'm writing or I am currently writing is Andrew Learns About Chefs. So I am back to writing. My mom is very excited about that because she, she's having withdrawals or something. I said, mom, you have 20 books. <laughs> I don't know what else you want from me. She's like, but it's been so many months. So I am currently drafting another manuscript. And I know people often like to ask, where do you find the time? Like you've asked, uh, Michael, where do we find the time? And for me during 2020, of course, we were all working in office or a lot of us were working in office, but we had shifted to remote work. And that took away some of the commute time, which we didn't realize takes a lot of time out of your day. 
So I didn't have that. And then because it was so much stress going on around that time, I think I really found it therapeutic for me to tap into the creative side of my brain. So all day I'm listening to complaints <laughs> of discrimination on the TV. You're seeing about everyone dying from COVID or you're we're in election year and you're hearing all that <laughs> craziness. And so to be able to put some good onto paper and know that I'm making a social impact, even though I didn't realize it at that time, but now that I realized that I'm making a social impact in my own little way, in my own little corner, in my own little office is very fulfilling for me. And so I just find the time by, you know, if I'm in a car on a passenger side and a thought comes to me, then I'll write, like I wrote, my summer skin is radiant while riding in the car with my husband. And it came to me that every day during the summer, me and my mom, my mom comes over to watch my daughter, but me and my mom would say to my son, who's now eight, oh my gosh, you must have been outside today. Your skin is getting so dark. You must have been outside today. Oh my goodness, you must have been outside today. And then it just clicked to me when I was in the car, like, why do I care? Like, why is me and my mom saying this constantly? Like, he's a kid. It's summertime. Of course, you're going to be outside. And so I wanted to create a book for not only children, but also to change the thoughts that's around or that's in parents' minds, such as mine and my mom and just so many people in the South, that getting darker skin or having darker skin is a bad thing. So I drafted that, riding in a car. I mean, of course, it took some more iterations, but just saying to find the time. Yeah, I don't know who you were speaking to that says it's easy to write that many books. I I, I can't even (laughs) fathom writing one book. But so how did you how did you get started? Especially it doesn't sound like you had any previous background with publishing or anything like that. So what kind of sparked this interest? And it went from, I want to write books to actually getting them published and selling them. As a no-name Black woman trying to bust into the publishing industry, it's really difficult. And so I had researched publishing companies, but you most likely need to be agented or they weren't looking for our stories anyway. So it was just really difficult. And that's why that first manuscript just set to the side because I'm like, I don't know what to do with it. But during 2020, I stumbled across a Facebook group and they were talking about independent publishing. And I said, what is that? And so using my attorney skills, I started researching and taught myself about the independent publishing route. And so that's how I was able to get my work out. And that's how I'm able to produce at such a rapid rate because it's me, like I'm in control of everything. I do have a book published with Simon & Schuster. After publishing, I think it was four books, they came to me to write Maya Angelou. And that is near and dear to my heart because I love, love, love Maya Angelou. And I've had the pleasure of sitting in her presence before she passed away, obviously, but in 2011. And so to find out that my name and her name are on the same book, I was like, what? So, but other than that, like that's a whole different process. Traditional publishing is a slower process and you can get it shelved. It's like when you make a record and they shelve it or don't promote it or something. So it's very it's different. It's a very different process. So I was able to go to market and continue going to market because my other books are independently published. And so what does that mean to be independently published? So they also call it self-publishing. And so Amazon has a direct publishing arm as well as another distribution site called Ingram Spark, where you are able to upload your manuscript and cover, so your book, and press publish, and then it'll be available. So once you press publish, that's printing. Back in the day, they used to call it printing. That's publishing. And it becomes available, then you're an author. You're a published author, essentially. Oh, that's amazing. Um, 
Michael and Tiffany, I, I really appreciate the time that you took to share your stories with us today. You know, before we close, I'll start with you, Michael. Is there anything else that you want to tell us about your journey or your path, your, your books? Yeah, I would say if you're interested in writing a book, just take it one step at a time. It is not an easy process, but it is a very rewarding process. The way I started kind of like taking it a piece at a time was instead of thinking about the entire book, I would have an idea and I would create a table of contents. And after the table of contents, I would turn each particular chapter into a paragraph. And then I would turn that into multiple paragraphs for each particular table of contents. And then I realized how I had to write the beginning of the book and the end of the book and then write the middle of the book. So you got to figure out kind of your style of writing and how your brain kind of ticks. And so most of my books were also written on, all of my books actually were written on my, my cell phone in notes on the iPhone, because to me, that's less intimidating than a big white screen on a computer. And I'm always have my cell phone. I don't always have my laptop. So I can always jot down my notes, always tweak the paragraphs. And then I would incorporate it into Microsoft Word every single night. And so there's different ways to kind of make it seem less intimidating. And once you have a, a product, as Tiffany said, I mean, there are different options to get published out here. There is the self-published route. There's the hybrid route, which means you are going through a publishing company, but you are putting the cost up front. You're paying those, that cost up front. Uh, and then they use their marketing wing to try to help you out. And then there's the, the, the publishing, typical traditional publishing route. What most people realize, and I didn't realize until I went through the process, is you can't just go to a publishing company. As Tiffany said, you have to go through an agent, right? And so it's a process. I remember my first book, I went through like 80 agents, right? And I think one of them said, I'm interested. Um, and I ended up going kind of the hybrid route for my first book. And then the second time, I wrote to about 35, 40 agents, and I got a lot of hits. I got, I got lucky. Rom-com is a hot thing. And then I got linked up with a publishing company. And then now that I have numbers, and the key thing is numbers, <laughs> which means you have sales, you have a following, you have audience, you have representation out here as being a good author or whatever. Then when you go to get signed for the next book, it becomes easier. But the hardest thing is to break into an industry where traditionally the gatekeepers, if you will, the agents don't look like us. And then even once you get through the gatekeepers, there's gatekeepers at the publishing company that don't look like you. And so, and they may not jive to or vibe with your story or what you're trying to do. And so it's a, it's an arduous process, but I always go back and I say, Stephen King wrote 80 publishing companies and 80th one is the one that signed him for his, his book, Carrie. And then if you look at Harry Potter, when she wrote to all of these publishing companies, only one of them wrote her back and look at her now. So it's worth it, push it and figure out which angle works best for you. Thank you for that, Michael. And, and Tiffany, same question for you. Um, any other closing comments you'd like to add? Now, that was really good. And it just reminded me of something that I always re remind myself of and tell others of is that you're going to have to do it scared. Like putting your work out, especially when it's art, as Erica Badu so eloquently put it, I am sensitive about my stuff. So to put out art, which is subjective, if you will, and have it received poorly or well, especially the stuff I write about. My stuff I write, well, the stuff I write about is universal, but the characters I choose to feature is where the quote unquote problem comes. That's where people say that's a black book or they say, well, because it has a black character that must be for black people. And I'm like, no, it's a universal theme. Um, seasons is universal. It just has black characters on it because seasons books don't typically have black characters. So when you write works, especially as a minority, 
And if you're choosing to feature BIPOC children or families or people, or you're choosing to write a Black-centered uh, story, you have to be thick-skinned enough to stand up to the possible criticism that may come from that. I've had someone very publicly, I was able to get it removed, again, using my attorney skills, but I've had someone very publicly demean Andrew Learns About Lawyers because that reviewer thought that, one, it was woke, but two, he didn't like that I had the audacity to feature a Black female attorney telling her Black son that he could be anything he wanted to be, including a lawyer. He didn't like that I featured prominent lawyers such as Thurgood Marshall or Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It was just really ridiculous. And so something so benign, um, you just have to be ready for that, but do it scared. And I'll always think of Marianne Williamson's quote, which is, our fear is not that we are inadequate. Our fear is that we're powerful beyond measure. Because when I really started thinking about it, I first heard it on Coach Carter, <laughs> but it started making sense to me when I got into this journey of being an author, and especially some call it a social impact author, that to it is scary that the one little thing, again, from your corner of your office that you put out there can have such a ripple effect, can have such an impact. It's very scary. It's a very daunting task, but you can do it. And you don't have to be like Michael and write three books. You don't have to be like Tiffany and write 20 books. You don't have to write children's books that feature Black characters or our stories just because you're Black. Because I know a lot of us think like, well, I can only write what I look like, right? But no, you don't have to do that. You just take it your way. You make it your story. Read all the time because that's the way you're going to hone your skills. I do not have a an English degree or writing degree, but there are workshops out there that you can take. Of course, you have editors that can help you. If you're like, my strong suit is not writing or storytelling, you have editors that can help you with that process. So you have a lot of help out here and you can find a time. We use our cell phones all the time. Michael and I use our cell phone to write our stories. And like you said, put them onto Microsoft Word. Also use paper <laughs> when I'm around. So yeah, that's all I got to say. Well, again, thank you both, Michael and Tiffany, for just taking your time today and your willingness to share your stories. I mean, they're inspiring to me, so I know they will be inspiring to others. And I do think it's really important for us to, to celebrate the arts. So again, thank you. Be sure to check out littler.com and our social channels to join the celebration of Black History Month. Thank you. Thank you.